Hi, we here at Grace Life would love to help you discover Jesus' unconditional love and grace for you. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you and further establish you in the truth of God's Word. That's awesome. I think it's uh, that's a, that's such a good point. Because so often we speak about um, loving Jesus, our friendship with Jesus, our relationship with Jesus. And when we say Jesus, we think of the Jesus of the Gospels. Um, we think of um, Jesus, the historic Jesus. We think of Jesus walking with his disciples, with his beard, with his carpenter shoulders. And we don't think of Jesus as he actually is now. And that makes it kind of hard for us to, to realize the reality of what we actually have inside of us. Because you can't think of a Middle Eastern carpenter from 2000 and something years ago living on the inside of you. Like, that's, that, that's not, you know, <laughs> even my imagination doesn't stretch that far. That's weird. So when we think about our relationship with Jesus, we tend to think about something that's separate. Where... I mean, technically, a more biblically accurate picture of Jesus is the one in Revelation. Um, but that's kind of scary, so we don't really want to think about that either. <laughs> you know, with his flaming eyes and his sword and his tattoo. Um, <laughs> but when we realize what the, what the reality is of relationship with God, the reality of Christianity, the reality of the gospel, it is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, living in His fullness on the inside of us. Okay? This was, and this is what we've been speaking about and what we've been learning together, the aim of the gospel was always the Spirit of God in man. Even if you look at the Old Testament, God asking them to build a temple uh, that, that could house His fullness and His glory. And then Paul saying, do you not know that now you are the temple where the fullness of God's glory dwells? That should blow our minds. Okay? Um, people died from seeing God's glory in the Old Testament, right? If you, if you touch something that you weren't holy enough to touch, um, my, my boys were traumatized the other day. I, was, uh, I can't remember why we were talking or reading this story about the people who were, uh, who were transporting the ark from one point to the other because David, David brought the ark to what he wanted it to be, its new resting place. And, they, and one of the ark bearers tripped and one of the other guys stretched out his hand to steady the ark and he died. Okay? <laughs> now, this is not to be depressing. It gives us a little bit of an idea of the glory of the goodness and the fullness and the power of God. Okay? If you read Job, where Job has all these terrible things happen to him, and, uh, you know, then his friends come and tell him everything he did wrong, and he's protesting his innocence and saying, I didn't do anything wrong, this is unjust. And then in this conversation, and then he's got this other friend who's moaning at him, um, telling him how he's wrong. Uh, it's a glorious book. Um, and in this human, very human interaction with a lot of people moaning and fighting, comes the voice of God. And he just starts talking about his own glory. 
He asks Job, where were you when the stars were born and the sons of God shouted for joy? And he goes on line after line, painting the picture of the glory of creation. And we read that and we don't follow the logical, the logical train of thought to the conclusion that if the aim of Christianity, if the aim of the gospel was for us to be reconciled to God and for the spirit of God to dwell in man, that it's this spirit of God in his fullness that now dwells in us. Okay, I'm going somewhere with this. So this is something that we do need to meditate upon and realize. We don't just have relationship with Jesus like a buddy, uh, you know, hanging out, it's so cool. That's, that's taking something amazingly glorious, life-changing and overwhelming and making it something small that's nice, but it's not going to change your life. Okay? Now, if the reason and the aim of the gospel was always, and the reason for Christ coming was always the Spirit of God dwelling in man, okay? Then how do you define success in the Christian life? You don't have to answer, you can just think about it. Like I, uh, I spoke to the students this week a little bit about that, um, made some of them cry. I, I, I apologized a few times. Um, hopefully no one's going to cry this morning, otherwise Etienne won't ask me to come back. <laughs> so just for yourself, define success in the Christian life, okay? Don't give yourself the right answer. No, a gold star is not going to help you, okay? Consider in your heart, based on the way you're living your life, the decisions you're making, what do you truly believe is success in the Christian life? What is it that you're really chasing? I'm going to give you a second. If you want to write this down, think about it at home, you can do that. And there's a lot of things you can go meditate on with regards to this. Like I said, the question isn't to have the right answer. The question is to reveal the state of your heart. And this is why that even if I give you the answer, you need to go home and look at what would my answer be, really, if I were honest. Sometimes, most of the times, we're not even honest with ourselves. So that's a good exercise to go do this afternoon. But if the aim of the gospel was God's spirit living in a man, then if you have received Christ, you are 100% successful. You have achieved the end of the gospel. Therefore, there is nothing to strive for. There is nothing more to do. There is nothing more to attain. Okay, so that is the one side of the coin. And I'm saying that to take the pressure off. Because I know that for many of us, if not all of us, there's a drive on the inside of there's something that I still need to achieve. There's something that I still need to arrive at. There's something that I still need to attain. And even if you're not putting words to it, you're not mentally 
thinking, oh, I still need to do this. I still need to do that. We all know the right answer. Jesus has done everything. It's not about what we do. It's about what he's done. Okay, but if you look at your life and you look at the state of your heart, for most of us, there's a drive as if we're not there yet. Okay? And those are, we're either striving for things that we think we should be striving for. We might be striving for acceptance. Or we might be striving for the things that we desire. Okay? I want to be happy. I want to be fruitful. I want to be successful. Okay? So first we need to know that we, you are already, if you have accepted Christ, you are already 100% successful in the Christian life. The aim, the goal has been satisfied. There is nothing left to chase. Okay, but now, what often happens is we don't only miss that. We also miss everything that Christ came to give us in that promise that Marco was talking about. Because we hear, okay, Christ came to fulfill the promise. The promise was always the Holy Spirit. Shane was talking about how Isaiah prophesied prophecy upon prophecy upon prophecy about Christ. It was always about the coming of the Messiah. It wasn't about anything else. And he said, come and thir- come those who thirst. Drink of the living waters and thirst no more. Okay? So we all receive Jesus. We're all happy. We're all born again. We're all going to heaven. We've got eternal life. And yet, we are all still thirsting. Why? Why are we all still thirsting if we have received the promise? If Christ has already come, and fulfilled the promise, why are we still thirsting? Okay, now I want you to imagine a picture with me. Say you're watching a movie. Now, if you're a guy, I want you to imagine that this movie is about this relationship between this man and his wife, okay? And his wife is just absolutely perfect, okay? She is beautiful. She loves him unconditionally. She respects him unconditionally, which is much more important, ladies. Another sermon based on that. Okay. (laughs) Love doesn't matter so much. The respect really does. Okay. She cooks the most amazing meals. Her heart is sincerely there for him. She's his best friend. She's his support. She's his cheerleader. She, you know, they live in this beautiful home, and this guy is just miserable. He's just, oh, my wife doesn't do this, and my wife doesn't do that. And he's yearning, he's got this, he's like, he wants life, he wants freedom, he wants this, he wants that. They go camping together, they go fishing together, they play, she cheers him on while he, while he does sport or watches sport. You know, she's just perfect. So what's going through your mind as you watch this guy moaning and complaining and looking for something else? You're like, he's an idiot, Right? How can you be discontent if you're married to the perfect woman? Okay, she doesn't exist, guys. Those of you who are unmarried, she doesn't exist. (laughs) Those of you who are married, it's our little secret that she does exist and you're married to her. Okay. (laughs) Your wife is perfect. So for the ladies, I want you to imagine the exact opposite, obviously. Okay. 
There's this woman who's married to the perfect man. She, he is everything every woman wants. He's kind. He's dependable. He loves her unconditionally. He, he treats her like a queen. He is so, he is so gentle with her. He's, he's, he's just on every single level. He also has these big shoulders and uh, he, he's like extremely handsome. Like all the girls faint when he walks through the supermarket. Okay. <laughs> He's a good father to their many or few children, whatever your deal is, okay? And this woman is just miserable, okay? She's got the perfect life, the perfect husband, and she's just miserable. She's, she's wanting to go out and find herself. Um, she's going, you know, uh, has an affair with like, this really dodgy guy who treats her like dirt. Like, like and she's just so desperately unhappy and you're like you're an idiot you move over I'll come <laughs> what's that song that's an old song I'll be your substitute yeah <laughs> okay okay we understand this okay now to a very very large extent this is exactly what we as Christians are doing with the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. Okay? Now I want you to reflect a little more with me. Okay? And this is going to be a fun list. If you've got a piece, piece of paper and a pen, make a list. What's frustrating you at the moment? You don't have to write it down. If it's your spouse and they're sitting next to you, maybe don't write it down. Okay? Maybe write down my inability to wash the dishes or something so that they feel better. <laughs> I want you to think about it. What is frustrating you at the moment? Okay, that's the one question. If you're going to say nothing, then you're either exceptionally holy um, or you're lying <laughs> to yourself. You don't have to answer it to me. Again, this is something you can continue reflecting on this afternoon. Because for some of us, there might be such a long list that you're definitely not going to finish by the time the service is over. And my second question is, honestly, from a scale of 1 to 10, where 10 is perfectly content and 1 is pretty miserable, what is your level of contentment with your life? Don't give yourself a spiritual answer. What's your level of contentment with your life? Now, before I continue, there's a, you won't call it a disclaimer. I just want to say something straight. We often feel, and maybe with reason, that when we come to church, the people at the front or the people behind the coffee table or the people doing the generosity message, which we don't do really, or whatever it is, they're trying to get us to give something up. Like the people in church, the pastor of whoever is trying to get you to give more of your money, um, spend more time reading your Bible and not kite surfing or watching series. Um, we're trying to get you to lay down your life for Jesus. And we're trying to get you to go live in a hut in the middle of, Uz of Uzbekistan and, uh, and eat only goat milk and something and live in a yurt okay 
so there's often, and it's a, it's the toddler in us, I guess. I, it's, it's the same with my boys. I'm trying to help them grow, and all they see is I'm spoiling their fun. I'm spoiling the fun of jumping off the roof or running around with a really sharp knife. Okay. So often without realizing it, we have this attitude when we come to church, like, uh, <laughs> the people are just trying to spoil our fun. Avi obviously has never felt like that. He's frowning at me with this huge frown. <laughs> Avi has known such wonderful pastors that he's always known that they only have his best interests at heart. <laughs> Devin's also frowning at me really badly, so I'm getting nervous. Um, <laughs> okay. So, I just want to kind of correct that, that if there's even just a little bit of a resistance or a cynicism in your heart, if I'm sharing something with you, it's because I love you, I want to encourage you, and I actually want what want. Can you tell English is not my first language? I actually want what's best for you. Okay? I'm not here because I like being up front and having a lot of people stare at me while I talk. It's intimidating. Okay? <laughs> I nearly ran out this morning and went and hid behind the car. I'm also committing a public speaking sin. You never admit that you're nervous when you're up front holding the mic, okay? <laughs> so when I'm sharing these things, it's not because I'm trying to take something away or try and get you to give something up. It's because I'm trying to point all of us and encourage all of us towards fullness and truth, the goodness and the beauty of God, which is what we were created for. Now, there are a million scriptures for this, and I would love to share all of them with you, but you can go and find them yourself. You're all clever kids, okay? Throughout the whole Bible, God has always been pointing people to himself. Okay? If you look at the psalmists, Psalm 27, one thing I desire that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold his beauty and to inquire in his presence. One thing. The people coming to worship God and him only, nothing else. God drawing and attracting people to himself. Okay? And then we skip to the life of Jesus Martha running around being very, uh, a very good hostess and Mary sitting at his feet. And, and, and Martha complaining, Lord, my sister is not helping me do the million things I need to do. How many of us complain in our heads about our spouses that way? <laughs> I like all you honest people in the back there. <laughs> and Jesus says, Mary has chosen the only thing. And Jesus doesn't say Mary has chosen the most important thing. Correct me if there's a translation which says that. Mary has chosen the only thing. And it shall not be taken from her. I often feel like Martha, so I often, yeah, in my flesh, I feel like, uh, like Jesus was a bit unfair there. <laughs> I also want to sit on the couch and just listen to Jesus. <laughs> and now the reason why I'm hammering on this is I have seen too many people 
lose the path to life because they are desiring or needing something outside of Christ. And this is a hard word because most of us desire many things. You want security, you want safety, you want happiness, you want a good stable income, you want to be married, you want to have children, you don't want to be married, you don't want to have children. Whatever the case may be, most of us are desiring something. I want a successful life. I want a fruitful life. I want to impact the world. I want to, I want to, I want to. Okay? And even, even if our desires are for good, normal, healthy things, as long as you desire anything outside of Christ in a way that Christ doesn't satisfy. Okay, that's a long sentence. I might have to re-say that. Your heart can be broken, swayed, and distracted. And it doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. It doesn't mean you're unsaved. It doesn't mean you've fallen off the bandwagon. But it means that the enemy can come and distract you from the one source of life, the one source of goodness, the one source of joy, the one source of peace that you have. Okay? Turn with me to Psalm 36. I think it might be 37. I'll see you when I get there. Okay, so in 36, yay, I was right. The psalmist is speaking and he's saying, Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches unto the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. How excellent is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house. And thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light we shall see light. Okay, so throughout the whole of Scripture and all the letters that explain the gospel to us and the kingdom and the reality of the Christian life, everything points to God inside of us the Spirit of Christ on this inside of us as the source of everything. And most of us, and I'm including myself here, don't live as if this is a truth or a reality. If you look at your list of frustrations, okay, as someone explained once that frustration arises when your goal is blocked or your desire is, um, is not ful fulfilled, okay? Now, we like to feel that we're frustrated for good reasons. But that kind of brings it all level to, you're only frustrated because you want what you want and you're not getting it. I'll let that sink in a bit. <laughs> I love that phrase because uh, it helps me so much when I'm frustrated 360 million times a day. Um, so I want you to think about your list of frustrations, Okay. Your list of frustrations are there because you have a desire for something you don't have. Could take the form of anything. 
So you're, you, you, we kind of think, if only this will change, if only this could happen, if only this could be sorted out, if only I had this, then I would be content. Hence, our very honest evaluation of ourselves on the contentment scale. Okay? If only something would happen, if only this would change, then I would be content. Now, when I shared uh, with the students this week, I asked them, what distracts people from experiencing the fullness of a fruitful life with God? Jesus said when he prayed and spoke to his disciples just before his death, he was praying that they might bear fruit and that the fruit would remain. Okay? So what makes us not have fruitful lives. And when I'm saying fruitful, I'm not saying millions of churches, worldwide ministries, lots of money, beach houses. Like, I'm not saying any of that. A life with no troubles whatsoever. You're never sick. You're never discouraged. Um, you're never poor. You're never struggling with anything at all. That's not a fruitful life. Okay? Jesus came to give us everlasting life, which is knowing him. Okay, and a fruitful life is merely the knowledge of Christ on the inside of you overflowing into everything you touch. Okay? But when I asked what, what, what stops people from remaining and having this fruitful life, Claudia immediately responded and said, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Okay? And this is why I'm hammering on a lot of this. Because for so many of us, we have hopes, good hopes, natural hopes, understandable hopes. But they are hopes that are not satisfied in Christ. Does this make sense? Okay. So what happens is this hope of yours does not come to fruition. You hope to find a good job. You hope to find a spouse. You're married and you hope to have children. You hope to become a missionary. That's a very good hope. Become a missionary to some God-forsaken, dark and lonely place. Okay? You hope to see many people's trans lives transformed with the gospel. Okay? You hope. Okay? None of those things, good as they are, are a guarantee. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. So that's where our taking heart comes from, is Christ. Okay, so what happens? You have a Christian who loves God, who's walking with him, and he's got, or she's got these hopes. Hopes that um, the heart disease I have might, might be healed miraculously. Hope that my unsaved parents might be saved. And when the hope is deferred, when the things you're desperately desiring doesn't manifest, what happens? Your heart becomes sick. Okay? The second part of that verse, which we often don't quote, is a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Okay? Now, go into the analogy of everything a tree can be and everything a tree can give you. There's fruit, there's shade, you know, you can color in the picture. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. 
So what happens, we have all these longings for good things. But because they cannot be fulfilled, our heart gets sick. Because the thing is, we don't have control. There's a lot of thing in this, things in this world we don't have control over. Okay? So what happens? We put our hope, our hopes and our desires in things we cannot control, like a better job, like a better marriage, like people responding to the gospel. And our hearts get sick and we become victims. We're victims of our own disappointment. Okay? But here, the second part of the verse gives us a tool in our hands. A longing satisfied or fulfilled is a tree of life. So all you have to do is change your longing. Because what is the thing that is perfectly fulfilled and fulfilling you every single second of every single day? Christ in you. So therefore, like the man or the woman married to the perfect person and being miserable, imagine them just suddenly noticing their spouse and all the loving ways they treat them and how wonderful they are. Suddenly their longing has changed because what they place their value on has changed. What they place their value on has changed. Now suddenly they see their spouse for who they are. They realize what they've got. They can engage in that relationship. They can enjoy the relationship. They can, that longing has now changed. That longing is fulfilled. And suddenly on the inside of them, they have a tree of life. A tree is perpetually growing. It's bearing fruit. It's going through its seasons. A tree is technically, not doctrinally, a tree's got the life of God in it, okay? I've got this amazing fig tree in my garden that I didn't plant. I don't know how old it is, maybe 16 years. It's huge. And now that it's fig season, it's bearing an abundance of fruit. Like so many figs, I cannot pick all of them. They, the ripe figs keep dropping to the ground, because okay, I just don't get to picking all of them because it's just, just too much. Okay, so that tree has constantly got life pulsing through it. Now, we've got a relatively, I mean, it depends on your point of view and what kind of news uh, articles you're listening to and what you're meditating on, but we live in a pretty great society, pretty great place. There's awesome people. Things are still working well. There's no civil war. No one's, you know, you know, they're nothing's exploding, there's no bombs, uh, you know, we're not being killed in the streets because we're Christians or, or whatever it is. Okay, so it's, things are going pretty well. We're all eating, we're all, you know, sleeping somewhere. It's good, okay. There's many parts of the world where that's not happening, and we have no guarantee that we're always going to be in such a comfortable environment. Okay, we all know the doomsday prophecies, you know. Oh, it's going to be terrible. If you have a longing fulfilled, you have a tree of life on the inside of you, which means you can face, handle, and deal with absolutely anything that comes your way. My favorite scripture is Jeremiah 17, and it matches with Psalm 1, that it talks about the one who trusts in God, but when you read the Amplified Classic, it doesn't say trusts in, it says relies on 
completely with the whole of yourself. Trust in God is like a tree planted by the water. That doesn't matter if heat comes, it doesn't wither, it bears fruit in and out of season. Okay? So if we have a longing fulfilled in our lives, it brings life. And that life can overflow. And this is the thing. If you want to be able to remain, if you want to bear fruit that remains, if you want to enjoy the life of God, the peace of God, not because I'm telling you to or it's the Christian thing to do, but because you want to enjoy the relationship you were created for, the life and the joy and the peace that your heart was created to long for, we have got to be satisfied with Christ and Christ alone because Christ is the only thing that can never be taken from you. He is the one thing that can never be shaken. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You are one with him and that can never change. Anything else in this world is temporary. Anything else in this world is fragile. And even the good things that we desire, I have seen good, good Christians. What does that even mean? It's like someone was telling me, yeah, that Tani is a great Christian. She's a big Christian. I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> I'm being sidetracked. I've seen too many people even desire a great calling, a great ministry, a purposeful life that impacts people, desire that more than they desire Christ and are allowing Him to satisfy them. And they are disheartened and they are miserable. Regardless of what we want out of life, we are all created to function within the relationship with God and we're created to, to live loved. We're created to live in His love and experience His peace and His joy. And the only thing that we will have that consistently is if the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of us is our satisfaction. He's our desire and He's enough. Because this is this thing, if you desire a car, I'm using a very plain example, and you get the car, you are happy. Now, this problem with this analogy is that a car can crash or be taken away, but let's say you have it in a bank vault. It's awesome. Okay. You have the car. The longing is satisfied, and you are satisfied, and you are happy. We already have the fullness of God living on the inside of us. Therefore, if He is our only desire, we are, will always be content and satisfied. And isn't that what we really want out of life? We think we want certain things, but we want those things for what they can give us or what we think they can give us. We want a spouse, we want a marriage, we want finances, we want stability, we want security. We want things because we want to feel whole. We want to have joy. We want to have peace. 
And it's so easy because we don't have to wait for any of those things. For those of us who are very holy, we don't have to wait until we've reached a thousand people for Christ or the whole of China now knows Jesus. We are satisfied with Christ. We can have peace and joy because we have Him and He is enough. Okay, I want to... How much time do I have, Devin? Plenty, no? No pressure. <laughs> I want us to just turn to... Mm, let me just pick one. It's two letters of Paul quite, uh, um, quite close to each other in the Bible. Now, I'm not, saying, I'm not telling you what kind of Bible to read. I'm just saying if you have a paper Bible instead of a Bible on your phone then you actually get to read your Bible without getting notifications that um, your friend from school just had another baby, uh, your other friend from school just bought a fancy car or came back from a holiday in the Maldives, or someone put a nasty comment on your last post. Um, so it's just, it's just, it's just easier okay. <laughs> without distractions. I love you guys. Okay, let's go to Colossians 1. Paul is speaking to the believers in Colossae. Never sure how to uh, pronounce that. It would have been so much easier if Jesus came to South Africa and we could say he was speaking to the believers in Joburg or speaking to the believers in Cape Town. <laughs> Not these big uh, uh, ancient Greeky Hebrewy words that uh, are tongue twisters. Um, he prays for them in verse nine. And then in verse 10, he prays that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, increasing in the knowledge of knowing who the Holy Spirit is inside of you. Okay, That scary God who, who came down like a ton of bricks on Job uh, uh, and basically told him, like, where were you when I created the earth? Like, that, that God... <laughs> Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. We cannot control our circumstances. Okay? But man, how awesome would it be if you never have to fear any circumstances because you have the glorious strength, long-suffering, patience, and joy to deal with anything. You can look anything in the face and it does not need to intimidate you because of what you have on the inside of you. Okay. Giving thanks to the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Now, our inheritance, we know, speaks about the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. That's our inheritance. Okay. And then I want you to skip to... Verse 25, um, where Paul speaks about him being a minister um, of the mystery. And this is the mystery. This is the treasure. This is the thing. The thing that has been hidden and that God has been working on throughout the ages. The gospel. Okay. He's the minister of this. To whom God would make known, talking about us, what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope 
of glory. Okay. The big mystery, the big treasure, the big thing. And we kind of don't always understand this because we grew up in a Christian environment. Even if you didn't grow up in a Christian home, the reason that the world hasn't been burned to the ground and people have kind of killed each other centuries ago and that there's nothing left but the crickets by now is because Christ came. Okay? The people who walked in darkness saw a great light. There was utter darkness and now there is light and truth and beauty and goodness. Okay? The key, the treasure, the essence of all of that, the, like, like, like Marco said, the promise that has been fulfilled is Christ in us, the Spirit of Christ in us, the Holy Spirit in us. Okay? Now skip with me to Ephesians 3. I'm in Galatians. Whoops, I was going to say, this doesn't look like Ephesians. Okay, now listen to this. This is also a scripture that uh, most of us know. So Paul is praying again, this time for the Ephesians. Luckily, that's not so hard to say. And he says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, and you can meditate on what that really means. Okay. To be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God, full stop. Because what we do is we read the next verse and we say, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, and we're like, okay, I want to know the love of God and know the power of God and have relationship with Jesus because there's all these things that I want. I want perfect health. I want my whole family to be saved. I want to be happy. I want to marry the dream person. I want a happy life. I want success. I want to achieve the pinnacle of my career in my chosen field. So I'm going to have relationship with Jesus. And then I get to have all these things because Jesus is awesome. Okay. And it seems good, but what we're doing is we're kind of holding on to Christ, but keeping our eyes on everything else that we're desiring. And when you get what you desired, because it's a changeable carnal thing, you pretty soon start desiring the next thing on your list. Okay? With this scripture, Paul is exhorting us and I see him so overwhelmed by the reality of the love of Christ and the fullness of God dwelling on the inside of him. And he's like, come on, guys, I'm praying that you'll get this, that you'll get this, because then you're never going to need anything else. We see these missionaries who, who go places and do things, and we, we hear the stories about people who went through the most terrible things in the wars. Who's read Corriton Boom's The Hiding Place or seen a documentary? That lady went through some of the worst things you can imagine. I mean, there's, there's thousands of Christians like this. 
and nothing could shake their peace and their joy. How amazing is that? And I'm not saying, you know, come on guys, we all have to be happy all the time and not want anything else. Okay, God's not going to make you again go live on a mountain somewhere and only eat dry bread and like moss that you scrape from the side of the rocks and starve. Okay. He's our father. He looks after us. He, he satisfies our mouth with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Okay, but it doesn't work the wrong way around. He gives us so many good things. But if our desire is for the good things and it's not satisfied by him and him alone, firstly, those things will never satisfy and your heart will always be sick. And the word is inviting us into a growing discovery, a treasure hunt, if you want it, for the rest of your life here on earth, a very short life here on earth. Eternity is very long. Okay. Sometimes we need a reminder. I do when I'm throwing my toys out of my cart for some reason. Okay. The Holy Spirit is inviting us into a treasure hunt. But it's not a treasure that's somewhere out there that you need to go and find. It's the kind of treasure hunt that you do with kids. Like an Easter egg hunt. Easter eggs are already hidden in your yard. They're already yours. You just get to find them all and discover them more and more. Okay, so I'm exhorting you guys and myself today for us to choose for Christ to satisfy, and for the Spirit of Christ to be our perfect contentment so that everything else is just an added blessing, but also so that we may never be shaken. Because yes, the world needs us to be unshakable. There's millions of people dying and going to hell out there. Okay, That's, They need us to be unshakable. But God wants us to be unshakable for us. He wants us to experience his perfect peace and joy regardless of what happens and to never be afraid. And that is only possible if our contentment comes from the Spirit of Christ on the inside of us and that alone. Nothing else can satisfy because nothing else is sure. And we get to just discover the treasure, the mystery that's already on the inside of us every single day for the rest of our lives. Discover what we've got. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like us to pray with you, please contact us at info at gracelife.co. If you'd like to order more resources or discover more about us, you can visit our website at www.gracelife.co or find us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube.